Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursalin. Nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Allahumma anfa'na bima alamtana wa'allimna ma yanfa'una. Warzuqna ilman tanfa'una bih. Amin ya rabbal alamin. Alhamdulillah. Thumma alhamdulillah. Uh, we praise and we thank Allah Azza wa Jal uh, as we've reached our next lesson in the tafsir of the short surahs of the Quran cause. And tonight, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, we are discussing suratul nasr. Suratul nasr bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, which is the surah about the divine support of Allah Azza wa Jal, which he bestowed upon uh, his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he starts the surah and he says, إِذَا جَاءَ النَّصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ إِذَا جَاءَ النَّصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ um, And some scholars have stated that this was in fact the last uh, surah to be revealed. According to certain ulama, this was the last surah that was revealed in full in the Qur'an. Uh, in a hadith in Sahih Muslim, narrated that Abdullah or Ubaidullah ibn Abdullah ibn Utbah he said that Ibn Abbas said to me, Do you know the last surah of the Quran that was revealed in full? And so I said, Yes. And he said, You have spoken the truth. So according to this hadith, in Sahih Muslim, Ibn Abbas confirms what Ubaidullah is saying that the last surah that was revealed of the Quran in full was So what this means is not the last ayah. Or the last ayat that were revealed, it means the last surah that was revealed in entirety. In its entirety, according to them, is Surah Al-Nasr. إِذَا جَاءَ النَّصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ And this is supported by another sahih narration or a sahih report from Umar and Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma that this surah was a sign that the death of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was approaching. Uh, the hadith is found in Sahih al-Bukhari, narrated from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma, that Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu an, now this is in the Khilafah of Umar, he used to make him sit with the elderly men who had fought in the battle of Badr. So people would sit, the elders would sit together and discuss issues. And Umar would have Abdullah ibn Abbas present in this time. And Abdullah ibn Abbas was, was much younger. And so some of them, meaning the elderly men, they felt this, يعني, meaning they, they were not happy with this. They said, why is this youngster sitting with us? And they said to Umar, why do you bring this boy to sit with us when we have sons like him? Right? Meaning our sons are his age. Our sons are a similar age to him. So why is it that you're having him sit with us? And so Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, because of what you know of his position. Meaning, referring to his knowledge, referring to the depth of his knowledge, of whom? Of Abdullah ibn Abbas. So just before we carry on, there's a famous hadith where uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas, as we know, he is the, the cousin of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And one day Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made a special dua for him. He made a special dua for Abdullah ibn Abbas, his cousin. And he said, Allahumma faqihu fi deen wa'allimhu at-ta'wil. Oh Allah, grant him the understanding 
of the deen. Grant him the comprehension of the religion. And teach him its interpretations, its tafsir. So of course the dua of Rasulullah is mustajab. It's accepted. And Abdullah ibn Abbas, he grows up as one of the most knowledgeable of the Sahaba. And he is then known as Tarjuman al-Quran, the interpreter of the Quran. This was his title, the, the interpreter of the Quran. And this is why whenever we refer to tafsir, we often narrate Ibn Abbas said about this ayah, Ibn Abbas said about this verse, and Ibn Abbas had this to say. Because his statement and his interpretation holds a high rank and status. Especially because of this dua that Rasulullah made for him. So Ya Umar is saying, because of his knowledge, this is why I have him sitting in. And so one day Umar anhu, he wants to make an example of this. And so he called me, and he called Ibn Abbas, Ibn Abbas is narrating the story. And he made me sit in this gathering with those people, with the elderly men. And I think he called me just to show them my knowledge. This was the, uh, the intention of Umar. And so Umar then said in my presence, what do you say about the interpretation of the verse in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ yani, What's the tafsir of this ayah? What do you say? And so some of the people answered. Some of them said, well, we are ordered to praise Allah and ask for His forgiveness. When Allah's help comes to us and we prevail over our enemies. And that's what the surah says. That is what the surah says. So any person who reads the surah, إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ When the divine assistance from Allah comes and victory, what should you do? إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسِ يَدْخُلُونَ فِي دِينَ أَيَفْوَاجَةِ When you see the people entering into the religion of Allah in crowds, what must you do? فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ إِنَّهُ كَانَ تَوَّابًا you must glorify the praises of your Rabb and seek His forgiveness. For indeed, He is tawaban. He is always accepting repentance. That's a, the general translation of the surah. Right? So what did the people say? We are ordered to praise Allah and ask His forgiveness, which is فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ Exactly that. When the help of Allah comes and we over, pre- prevail over our enemies, which is the first ayah. So this is what the surah says. Right? This is exactly what the surah says. So what they are saying is not wrong. What they, are, what they have said, they have summarized the surah and it's not wrong. Others kept quiet and said nothing. On that Umar anhu, he said to me, Do you say the same, O Ibn Abbas? Is your opinion the same? So Ibn Abbas said no. He said, What do you then say? And so I said, yani Ibn Abbas said, That is the sign of the death of the messenger of Allah وسلم, which Allah informed him of. Subhanallah. This surah he is saying is not just about praising Allah and when the help comes you must praise Allah. It's not just about that. This surah is actually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informing his prophet that his death is about to come. That his death is nearby. It's a sign of his death. This is the tafsir of Ibn Abbas. When there comes the help of Allah, and the conquest comes, and we'll speak about the conquest in the conquest of Mecca. And you see the people entering Allah's religion in crowds. So glorify the praises of your Rabb and ask His forgiveness. For verily He is the one who accepts the repentance and who forgives. Right? This is what Ibn Abbas said. This, this ayat, this entire surah, is actually 
Allah informing his prophet that his death is nearby. At that, or on that, Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, I do not know anything about it other than what you have said. Meaning he agrees with him completely. This is exactly what you are saying, O Ibn Abbas. Subhanallah. So this, this indicates to us, yes, firstly, the, the status of Ibn Abbas. Status of Umar ibn Khattab. And their in-depth knowledge that others didn't necessarily have. And most people, if they were to read the translation of the surah, they would not know this point. We get this from hadith. We get this from the hadith in Bukhari, which tells us what Umar did with Ibn Abbas and what he said in terms of tafsir and that Umar agrees with him. So we know this from now, from this hadith, that this is what the surah also implies. It's an address to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam whereby Allah is telling him that your death is coming close by. And we will touch on this later on. Bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. So the point here, but for mentioning this was to add to the previous, to add to the opinion that we mentioned, that this was the last surah that was revealed in full, right? Because it's the point here is it happened just before the death of the Prophet So it could be that it adds to the previous opinion of Ibn Abbas and Ubaidullah, where he said to Ibn Abbas that the last surah to be revealed in full was Surah Al-Nasr. However, Sahaba actually differed over this. So we mentioned Ubaidullah said so, and Abdullah ibn Abbas agreed. The previous narration didn't say it was the Rasulah, it just added on to that point, meaning it shows us that this was just before the death of the Prophet But it doesn't actually say that it was the last to be revealed. The first hadith did say that of Ubaidullah and ibn Abbas. The Sahaba actually differed. Right? Some said it was Surah Ma'idah, like Aisha radiallahu anha. She said Surah Ma'idah was the last to be revealed. Some said Surah Bara'a. And so they differed. So different ahadith that you may come across and different narrations that you come across may mention different surahs that was said to be the last surah to be revealed in full. Understand? So what this tells us is that the Sahaba differed. Why did they differ? Because there's actually no conclusive evidence from the Quran or the Sunnah, from, from the words of Rasulullah that says that this is the last to be revealed. So according to their knowledge, that was the last to be revealed. According to his knowledge, Ma'ida, or her knowledge, Ma'ida. According to his knowledge, Bara'a. According to Abbas, Ibn Abbas, it was Surah Al-Nasr. Which one is it? Allahu A'lam. Allahu A'lam. There's no conclusive evidence, hence they differed. So uh, what do we say? We can definitely say, we can then definitely say that it was one of the last to be revealed in full. Especially based on the, the narration of Umar and Abdullah ibn Abbas. Abu Razin, he reported that Umar radiallahu anhu asked Ibn Abbas about the verse, إِذَا جَاءَ النَّصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ Ibn Abbas said, when this verse, verse was revealed, it was an announcement to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa about his passing. Right? This is the point that we mentioned earlier on as well. So coming to the tafsir of the surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ When the help of Allah, when the divine ultimate help of Allah comes, and his conquering or and his victory. Ibn Uthaymin, rahimahullahu ta'ala, he mentions, and majority of this tafsir tonight will be from the work of Ibn Uthaymin, the great imam and faqih, and he was truly a, a, a mufassir as well. 
as well as a scholar of usul al-fiqh and many other sciences. So the Shaykh, he says to us that the address here is to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah is actually direct, uh, speaking to him directly. Yani he's addressing him. That when the help comes, um, and the proof of this would be in the next ayah, or the third ayah, should I say, فَسَبِّحْ is a command to him. So glorify your Rabb. Right? So this is why he says this is an address to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then the Shaykh explains what is Nasr. What does Nasr mean? He says that Nasr is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants a person dominance or authority over his enemy. This is Nasr. It's like a divine help. By him gaining power over his enemy, humiliating his enemy or degrading his enemy and suppressing him. This is what the Shaykh explains that the word Nasr means. So when we say when the help of Allah has come, or the divine, or the, the special help of Allah has come, the ultimate help of Allah has come, this applies to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granting a person victory over his enemies, authority over them, by him gaining power over them, or degrading them from where they were of status, they are now degraded, and suppressing them. They no, they no longer have any authority or power or any way to oppress others or to oppress, oppress them, them and so forth. They are now below them. This is Nasrullah. This is the help of Allah for this person. Right? And again, when we look at the context of the surah, we will see exactly how this definition fits in. If we look at it quickly, this refers to the conquest of Mecca. When the Muslims came and they conquered Mecca and they officially came into cho- in charge of Mecca. Meaning, after the Quraysh had been uh, abusing them for over a decade, for over a decade, the, the, the Quraysh had been harming them and fighting them and abusing them. Once they eventually took over Mecca, this is the Nasrullah wal Fatih. The special help of Allah and victory had come. So what happened? The Muslims, the Prophet wasallam was given dominance over his enemy. He gained power over them, authority over them, degraded them from the status that they had in Mecca, no longer. And he suppressed them. That authority that they had, that oppression, the tyranny that they had, was now suppressed. This is the Nasrullah, as Sheikh ibn Uthaymin so beautifully explained it. And then he said that ultimate Nasr is the person's happiness or a person's happiness or pleasure that he achieves through his deeds, through his a'mal. That is also nasr. That's also nasr. It's also a special type of aid and help that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That a person gains victory and experiences delight, happiness and pleasure when he does something good. This is victory from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because it means you've overcome your nafs. It means you've overcome the shaitan. Your qareen that's giving you waswasa and so forth. So this is also nasr from Allah. Because the shaitan is your enemy. Your evil nafs is an enemy unto you. When you overcome these internal enemies, or your, your personal enemies, this is also nasr from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you do righteous deeds, and you find help through this, and assistance through this, and through that you find pleasure and happiness. This is also nasr, as the shaykh rahimahullah explained. Wal-Fatih. 
So we've spoken about when the help of Allah comes, the Nasrullah comes, that, that divine help from Allah comes, the divine assistance. Wal-Fatih. Coupled with this, coupled with this Nasr is also Al-Fatih. Is also Al-Fatih. What is Al-Fatih? Al-Fatih is translated as a triumph, a victory, a conquering. And the Shaykh explained, it's coupled together here. Nasrullah Wal-Fatih. There's a wow there that, that joins them together. They are now joined together by this wow. Right? And even or, or, uh, even though Al-Fatih is a part of Al-Nasr. Al-Fatih is a part of Al-Nasr. What does this mean? That victory comes from Allah. And that victory is part of Allah's help and assistance. But what's the difference? The difference is that Al-Fatih is a bit more specific. Nasr is broad. All of the ways Allah can help you. That divine assistance is broad. It's more general. Fatih is a bit more specific. It, it applies to something a bit more specific, which is the victory from Allah. After you've conquered. After you've triumphed over your enemy. That's Al-Fatih. But that's also part, of, part and parcel of Allah's Fatih. Allah should I say Allah's Nasr. Naam. So they're coupled together even though it's more specific than Allah's assistance in general. Tayyib. And this is commonly found in the Quran. This is commonly found in the Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that Inna fi qadr. And he speaks about Laylatul Qadr. And then Allah says Tanazalun malaikata ikatu war ruh. On that night, the malaika descend and the ruh descends. A ruh we explained in, in Surah Al-Qadr is who is Jibreel. The soul, the spirit here is Jibreel. So Allah said the malaika descend and Jibreel. Is Jibreel not part of the malaika? Yes, he is. But Allah mentions him specifically out of his status and honor. However, this is something similar. Allah mentions his fat. As something special, as, as something specific. After he mentioned his Nasr, even though his Fatih is part of his Nasr. Something very similar, it is understood. The Al that's attached to Fatih, Al Fatih, not just Fatih, but Al Fatih. The Al is attached. This indicates, this specifies it, right? This Al in Arabic is known as uh, the Al of Ta'rif. Right, it means it's something definite. It's not indefinite, it's something definite. Which means, or the ulama have explained it, Ibn Uthaymin explains it, he says that the Al over here, which is attached to Al-Fatih, to, to the word Fatih, he says that it indicates that this is something that is connected to one's, that the Al it refers to what is known or what is familiar to your minds, to your brain, to your aql. And that is Fathu Makkah. Meaning, to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This Fath refers to what is known to you. Yani what, what appears to your mind, what is known to you as you understand it, as Al-Fath in this context when the ayah was revealed. And what was it referring to? Fathu Makkah. The conquest of Makkah. This is what this what this Fath specifically was referring to. Right? It was not just a general victory. It was referring to a special victory. A specific victory. Which was 
the victory or the conquering of Mecca. Right? And this happened on the 8th year or during the 8th year after Hijrah in the month of Ramadan. So 8 years after Hijrah took place from Medina, they went and they conquered Mecca um, during the month of Ramadan. The reason this conquest took place, what happened? What is the backdrop to the story? So what happened was, is there was the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, the famous treaty, the Pact of Hudaybiyah, which took place in the sixth year of the Hijrah, and the Quraysh eventually broke this agreement. Right? So what quickly the Treaty of Hudaybiyah took place in the sixth year of the Hijrah, as we said. Okay? In this pact, the Muslims had gone to Mecca. Oh, sorry, before this, the Muslims had gone to Mecca to perform pilgrimage. And they were eventually blocked. They thought the, the Quraysh would allow them in, but they were not allowed in. What then happened was, is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he had a discussion with some of, you know, the emissaries and so forth. And eventually the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was agreed upon. And that was that the Muslims can come back the following year for Hajj. But not that year. And a few other things. And that was that no fighting will take place for a period of 10 years. Approximately 10 years they had an agreement. There will be peace. No more fighting. No more killing. Right? This was one of the main conditions. So that both camps, the Quraysh, the Muslims in Medina, they can have some harmony and peace in their lives. And this was an agreement which actually gave strength to Islam. Because now for, 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 you know, for the first time, the Muslims could live in peace without this worry of the, of, of the enemy constantly attacking them. And this allowed them to, 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 to flourish in, the, in, in Al-Madinah and to spread their wings and so forth and the da'wah. And many people accepted Islam in this period. But 10 years did not work. Or did not last, should we say, the treaty. But after two years, there was some bloodshed. And some of the Muslims were killed. Right? And upon this, the Prophet ﷺ decided that he would wage war against the Quraysh. Because they broke their agreement. They broke the treaty. The treaty of Hudaybiyah was intact for two years approximately. And after this, they broke the agreement. And then he decided... He's now going to march to, Al- to Mecca and he's going to, t- to wage war against them. So he gathered about 10,000 men and they went to Mecca in secret. And he never informed them that he's coming. And he said, Oh Allah, conceal our information from them. Conceal us from them. Yani, let them not find out that we are coming. Um, because now the time of peace is over. They broke the agreement so the treaty is over. So now the, they are... For the Muslims to go and fight, there's nothing wrong. Right? They entered Mecca on the 20th of Ramadan during the 8th year of the Hijrah. Right? So this is shortly after the pact had been broken. The 8th year of the Hijrah, they entered Mecca. They entered with the element of surprise. As we explained, this was the dua of the Prophet And they came and they conquered. They conquered, they, they destroyed the Quraysh. Majority of them. And they had the assistance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Nasr of Allah. The Fath was there. That divine ultimate help from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they had with them. And they completely conquered uh, Mecca. In the end, some of the Quraysh who were left and who survived, 
they eventually ran to the Kaaba and they surrounded the Kaaba. And some of them were waiting underneath the door, holding on, you know, parts of the door, waiting to see what their fate was going to be. They were completely destroyed, they knew, they had no way of fighting back. So the Prophet ﷺ, he comes in and he says to them, What do you think I'm going to do with you? What is it that you think is going to happen, that I'm going to do to you? They were standing, basically they've given up. And imagine, this is after everything had happened. You know, go to the Seerah Lessons, which is on our YouTube page, Alhamdulillah, especially this period, we are busy discussing this period in our YouTube uh, explanation of the Seerah. And you'll see the prosecution that the Quraysh in, uh, put upon the Muslims, the torture that the Sahaba went through. Why they made Hijrah to Habasha once, twice, eventually had to make Hijrah to Al-Madina. All of the abuse that they put the Prophet ﷺ through and the Sahaba, physical abuse, death threats, death um, attempts, assassination attempts, mocking, scoffing, name-calling, you name it, they did it. After all of this, he had to flee from his beloved Mecca. He had to go, he had to run, and still they chased him. After all of this, eight years later after making Hijrah, he is now the one who is finally prevailing over them. He is now finally overcoming them. The victory has finally come. Allah is rewarding him for his sabr, for all of his perseverance. So now after all of this has happened, he has the upper hand. These were the people who oppressed him. These were the people that, that showed him the ultimate enmity. Now he's saying to them, what do you think I'm going to do to you? Wallahi, if it was any other person that was not sent as a mercy to, 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 to mankind, most likely they would have killed him. But the people, they responded, the Quraysh, they said, Khairan ya akhil kareem. You are going to do goodness, O noble brother, and O noble nephew, something good. I hope they knew him. And he said to them, I say to you what Yusuf السلام, said to his brothers, لا تثريب عليكم اليوم. We all know the story of Yusuf, what the brothers did to him. Eventually they came back to him. And when he had the upper hand, and they didn't know it was him. And after he eventually said, what did you do to Yusuf? And they said, are you Yusuf? قالوا, uh, Yusuf? Are, you, are you Yusuf? He said, I am Yusuf and this is my brother. And Allah is blessed me and so forth. And then they begged him for forgiveness and so forth. And then Yusuf said to them, لا تثريب عليكم اليوم. There's no blame upon you today. يغفر الله لكم. May Allah forgive you. وهو أرحم الراحمين. And he's the most merciful of the merciful. This was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's response to them. And then he said to them, اذهبوا, go. For all of you are, you are free to go. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he let them go and he pardoned them. And this victory, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala referred to as a clear triumph in the Quran where he said, إِنَّا فَتَحْنَا لَكَ فَتْحًا مُبِينًا إِنَّا فَتَحْنَا لَكَ فَتْحًا مُبِينًا Indeed, we have granted you a clear triumph, O Prophet. This fath is exactly the fath which Allah mentions in إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ Fath means that victory, that conquering, that triumph. And this is what it's referring to, the Fath of Mecca. The Fath of Mecca, the, the, the triumph of Mecca. What then happened was, is, after this happened, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was broken. Two years later, it broke. 
Then or after two, two years after they agreed to the treaty, they broke it. The Prophet made war and he conquered Mecca. This was Al Fatih, the great conquering. Once people learned that Muhammad had conquered Mecca and that he had overcome the Quraysh, many people started to enter Islam. So it was said that many people were waiting. Many people they they heard about Muhammad, they heard about him claiming to be a messenger a prophet and so forth but many of them were hesitant to accept for various reasons one of them being that if he's a prophet he will have to conquer Mecca because Mecca is the holy land it's Al-Haram it's the Kaaba it's the Baytullah if he's a, if he's a truly a prophet he will have to conquer Mecca and he will have to conquer the Quraysh those people who are in charge those people who are noble they are elite the chiefs of Mecca, the people who were known as Ahlul Haram, they were known as the people of the Haram. And they are the ones who threw him out. That those are his people who expelled him. So surely he's have, going to have to conquer them. And once he gains that victory and he overcomes them, this is a sign that he's a prophet. So many people were waiting for this. They knew that if he's a prophet, he must conquer Mecca. And when he did this, they then realized that this must truly then be a prophet. He went from being a man with little to no followers, thrown out of his hometown, all of the abuse that he went through, all of the difficulty that they put him through, the suffering, the torture of his companions, all of this. He now comes back a few years later and he conquers them completely, completely. So once this happened, the people were, now the word spread and people now immediately started to come and they accepted Islam. And this brings us to the second ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسَ يَدْخُلُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ أَفْوَاجًا So after the divine help of Allah comes and His victory, and the victory comes, the, the conquering of Mecca has come, and you, O Prophet, you will see the people embracing Allah's way, entering the deen of Allah in crowds. يَدْخُلُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ Embracing Allah's way, or entering into the religion of Allah, Afwaja in crowds. And once that help comes, once that victory comes, this is what you are going to see. And this is exactly what happened. When he conquered Mecca, that divine help of Allah came, the victory came, this is exactly what happened. He saw the people coming and entering the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, in crowds. So before this, how did people accept Islam? They came one by one. Individually, people accepted Islam. And many of them did so in secret, out of fear for the Quraysh, out of fear for the other tribes. That if they found out they were Muslim, they'd be oppressed. They'd be tortured and punished like the others. So, in the, in, in the initial stages especially, most people accepted Islam in secret. Most people accepted Islam hidden and they kept their deen hidden away. Nobody knew they were Muslim. They practiced in private, in secret. But after this, people now started entering afwaja. Afwaja means jama'at, in jama'at, in groups and groups and flocks and crowds. This is what the word afwaja means, jama'at. You know what jama'a? Many jama'at, jama'at in, in, in groups, in flocks, in crowds. Also, delegations now started coming to the Prophet Consistently and from all over. Different tribes, different regions people were coming from. Right? In delegations, in groups. Right? 
And this happened again when in the ninth year of the Hijrah, the ninth year of the Hijrah became known as Amul Wufud, the year of the delegations. <coughs> it became known as the, the year of the delegations. So many people would come from all over. They would spend time with the Prophet ﷺ for days and weeks and just sit with him and learn from him, learn the deen, learn the aqidah, learn tawheed, learn the Quran, learn the recitation of the Quran, learn the salah, the zakah, and so for the wudu, and the, all the, the necessities. And then they would go back home and teach their people. And there's various narrations of this, of how many sahaba narrate. We were with the Prophet ﷺ, we learned this from this is what he said. They would then go back to their people and explain to them what he said, and so forth. Alhamdulillah. Ibn Kathir he mentions in his book, uh, in his tafsir, that Al-Bukhari recorded a hadith in his Sahih, that Amr ibn Salama, he said, when Mecca was conquered, and Amr ibn Salama, just by the way, his father, Salama, was one of the people who was part of the delegations. He's one of the people who is known to be uh, of the people who traveled and sat and sat with the Prophet and was part of those who were part of delegations. Because one hadith mentions that Amr ibn Salam narrates in this hadith that his father said to him, جِئْتُكُمْ مِنْ عِنْدِ النَّبِيِّ I came to you, meaning my people, I came to you from the Prophet حَقًّا who was truly a prophet. So he went, he sat, he watched him, he learned from him, he saw his signs which were all truthful, and he came to the conclusion that this is truly a prophet. This was what happened during these times in Amul Ufud, the other delegations. And he then narrates a hadith to them that the Prophet said when the salah presents itself, one of you should give the adhan, and the one who is the most well-versed in the Qur'an should lead the people in the salah. And then what happened? The people looked around and they checked who knew the most Qur'an and Amr says they then came to the conclusion that nobody knew more of the Qur'an than myself. And so they made me the Imam. They made me the Imam because I knew most of the Qur'an. I had memorized the most Qur'an. And at the time I was six or seven years old. That's a hadith which is Bukhari as well. So that Amr narrates from his father Salama, who was the one who traveled and he was part of the delegations um, that went to the Prophet uh, and so forth. In this hadith he says, when Mecca was conquered, all of the people rushed to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, to profess their Islam. The various regions were delaying the acceptance of Islam until Mecca was conquered. The people used to say, leave him and his people alone. If he's victorious over them, he's a true prophet. And this is what we explained earlier, exactly what is mentioned in this hadith in Bukhari. That this is what they waited for. If he's victorious, then he's a prophet. This is what they, they waited for this to happen. When it happened, khalas, now they were convinced and they would send and they would go and they went and they took their shahada and so forth. The final ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says to him, yani to the Prophet وسلم, when you see the sign, what's the sign? When the help comes and your victory comes, the conquering of Mecca, and you see the people entering the deen of Allah in crowds, when you see the sign happen, what must you do? فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ That's what you must do. فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ إِنَّهُ كَانَ تَوَّابًا You have to glorify the praises of your Rabb and seek His forgiveness. 
two things. You have to glorify the praises of your Lord and seek his forgiveness. Why? He is ever accepting of tawbah, of repentance. One of Allah's names is At-Tawwab. One of Allah's names is At-Tawwab, the one who accepts repentance. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is At-Tawwab means he is always accepting tawbah. Whenever we turn to him in tawbah, asking his forgiveness, fulfilling the conditions of tawbah, giving up the sin, stopping the sins, making a firm, resolute decision not to go back to the sin and having nadam, yani regret over the sins, hating what we did and we ask Allah's forgiveness, he was, he's, he's ever ready to accept our tawbah. This is at-tawwab. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he indicates to him that the expected response to this blessing that he has bestowed upon him is that he wants him to be grateful to him and praise him. Yani, when you see this sign, which is the people entering the deen after you've conquered Makkah and so forth, what's left for you is you now have to praise your Rabb and thank him and glorify him and then seek his forgiveness. That's what's left. This is, all, this is what's expected of you now. And this is what is befitting is to be grateful unto Allah Azza wa Jal for, for this blessing that he's now bestowed upon you. Subhanallah. This is similar to Allah's statement. Now take note of the difference between this and what we just mentioned. Here Allah mentions another blessing that he bestowed upon him. There Allah mentioned the blessing of the victory and the help and the people accept all entering the deen of Allah in crowds. And then Allah gave the response what he expects from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Here Allah says, Indeed, it is we who have revealed the Qur'an to you, O Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in stages. Is that a bounty? Without a doubt. This is a great favor from Allah. Allah revealed the Qur'an to you, O Prophet, in stages. So what must you do? What's your response to this? Fasbir li rabbik. So be patient with your, your Lord's decree. What does Allah want from you now? After mentioning this, this bounty, and what's your response to this bounty? It should be, فَصْبِرْ لِحُكْمِ رَبِّكَ It should be sabr, patience and persevere with your Lord's decree. وَلَا تُطِعْ مِنُمْ آثِمًا أَوْ كَفُورًا And do not yield, do not obey any evildoer or staunch disbeliever from among them. Right? The main point here is what? To this blessing of, of, of Quran revelation, you need to be so you need to be patient with the decree of, of your of your Lord. The expected response though was what? Allah has sent you the Quran, so be grateful. Now yeah, Allah is telling him, instead of this, Allah is saying, be patient upon the decree of your Rabb. Why? What does this indicate? This indicates that with this Quran that's coming to you, and with you giving da'wah with this Quran. And spreading the teaching of the Quran and the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what's going to happen? You are going to face difficulty and hardship. And harm is going to come your way. Hence Allah is telling him, فَاصْبِرْ لِحُكْمِ رَبِّكَ So be patient with the decree of your Rabb. With this bounty, Allah is sending you, and you are going to spread this da'wah and this Quran. What you now need to do is, your response to this should be what? This is part of gratitude, yes? But your response should be specifically sabr. Have lots of sabr because harm is going to come your way. And again, we mentioned it earlier, lots of harm came his way. 
Lots of harm. All types of harm came his way, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Whereas in this surah, in surah al-Nasr, Allah doesn't say fasbir. Allah doesn't say fasbir. He says the, 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 the victory has come. Allah's aid and assistance has come. And you see the people entering the deen of Allah in, in flocks, in numbers, in crowds. Then Allah says, what's the response expected of you? فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرُ Glorify the praises of your Lord and seek His forgiveness. That's what Allah wants. What's the difference? Why فَاسْبِرْ there and فَسَبِّحْ here? Glorify the praises of your Rabb. Why? What's the difference? Upon realization and reflection, what we find is, this was at the end of his life. As we explained earlier from Ibn Abbas and Umar ibn Khattab, that the surah was revealed before the end of the... Well, this, was an, this was Allah informing the Prophet ﷺ that his time is up. He's coming to an end. So the sign of this ultimate victory and assistance is a sign of the coming of your death, O Muhammad This is what Allah is telling him in the beginning of the surah. As much as it's a great bounty and a great favor, and the people are now entering the deen of Islam in flocks and crowds, this was also an indication to you, O Muhammad, that your life is now coming to an end. Your mission is coming to an end. Your job that you have been doing for these 20 odd years, 22 years approximately, is now coming to an end. Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal records a hadith from Ibn Abbas that he said, when Ida Nasrullahi wal Fatih was revealed, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Nu'iyat ilayya nafsi. My death has been announced to me. My death has been announced to me. And indeed he died during that year. This is exactly what we touched on earlier. Nu'iyat ilayya nafsi. My death has been announced to me. And Ibn Abbas said, indeed he died during that year. This was towards the end of his life. As we said. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, after informing him of this victory and this divine assistance and the people entering the deen of Islam in crowds, what's left for the Prophet ﷺ to do? It's no longer to have sabr and to persevere. Because in reality, he has been through the hard the hardship. He's been through most of the difficulty. He's, he's endured most of the difficulty. The earliest part was the hardest part, when the numbers were so few, they were in secret. And as the numbers started to grow and things became a bit more open, the Quraysh were extreme against him, torturing and punishing them. They had to leave. The name calling started, this started, that started. Then the battles started after they made Hijrah. Badr took place, Uhud took place. And this continued and continued. The difficulties were, were there. The year of sadness came and went. The year of grief. Hamza passed away. Khadija passed away. His children passed away in his lifetime. Six of them. So he went through all of the difficulties and, 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 and so many tests. Now that the victory had come, he conquered Makkah. People are now entering, entering Islam in, in crowds and crowds and crowds. What's left for him? It's no longer sabr. It is now, فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ now what's left for you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is glorify the praises of your Rabb. Start to glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is what Allah has been promising you. Inna ma'al usri yusra, inna ma'al usri yusra. With hardship comes ease, with that hardship comes more ease. 
He went through the hardship. He got through. Now Allah is opening up the doors for him. Ultimate assistance and divine assistance and victory. They conquered Mecca. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. So he had to make tasbih. What does tasbih mean? Tasbih of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means declaring that one's heart and mind are far removed from thinking that there is any shortcoming unto him or attributing any evil to him. And it is declaring him to be far above any fault that is attributed to him by the mushrikeen and heretics. That's tasbih. Tasbih means to glorify Allah, meaning to free Allah from any defect, from any shortcoming, any weakness. It means to, to, to acknowledge that perfection belongs to Allah. This is why other translations say, Subhanallah means perfection belongs to Allah. Or Allah is free from defect. Or glory be to Allah. Or, um, naam, those are the, the general translations that you find for Subhanallah. And this is what it means. Subhanallah means to free Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from any fault, weakness, defect, shortcoming and so forth. It's basically to... To, 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 to raise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the point of perfection where we acknowledge his perfection. That nothing can touch him or come close to him and he is free from any type of weakness, any type of shortcoming and so forth. That's what subhanallah means. Every time we say subhanallah, 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 we are saying perfection belongs to Allah. Perfection belongs to Allah. Allah is the height of perfection in every way. All of his names are perfect. All of his attributes are perfect. All of his actions are perfect. Everything, single thing he does is perfect. And this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No weakness, no flaws. Nothing can, of this can be attributed. This is what subhanallah means. Rabbika. This is what you must do. Do tasbih. Glorify him. Raise him in your mind. Raise him in your heart. Raise him on your tongue. And so forth. Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar, rahimahullah, he explained and he said with regards to the words bihamdihi, right, in this context, it won't be bihamdihi, it will be bihamdi rabbika, but it's the same thing. Often we find the, the dhikr, subhanallahi wa bihamdihi, glorified is Allah, perfection belongs to Allah, wa bihamdihi, and his praises, right? But the scholars actually differed, how do we interpret this? It's not saying subhanallah and alhamdulillah, because now the two are again, they are combined, Subhanallah and bihamdi is, so we got tasbih and tahmeed. Say subhanallah and we got alhamdulillah making hamd of Allah, praising Allah. But the two are now combined, right? And so Ibn Hajar explains, right? So in this surah, it's also combined. Fasabbih bihamdi rabbika, right? Glorify the praises of your Rabb. So he said what's meant by this is it was said that the wow, fasabbih bihamdi rabbika, or Wa bihamdihi, subhanallah, wa bihamdi, fasabbih bihamdi rabbika. It indicates simultaneous action. So the meaning is, I glorify Allah at the time when I am praising Him for His help and support. So, subhanallah wa bihamdi means, or subhanakallahumma rabbana wa bihamdik, for example, means, I, I am glorifying Allah, I'm saying subhanallah, but at the same time, I'm also praising Him. I'm also praising Him at the same time. There's a combination here yeah, because the way that the, the structure is is that they are put together. Right? And he says it was also said that it refers to consecutive actions. So the meaning is, I glorify Allah and I praise Him. I glorify Allah and I praise Him. 
So subhanallah bihamdi or subhanallah uh, can mean either I glorify Allah at the time whilst I am praising Him, or it could be separated some just just between uh, or shortly between each other. I glorify Allah and I praise Him. Both are basically possible or plausible interpretations. And he said it may be that the meaning is I laud Him by praising Him. So Subhanallah is a separate phrase, and Bihamdihi is a separate phrase. As you can see here, the ulama would differ over this. Some would say it means this. Some would say it means that. Some would say it means um, this over here. Right meaning. Um, I laud him by praising him. Right? I glorify him by praising him. Subhanallah means one thing, and then I, and I also praise him. That is part of my tasbih. It's a way of my tasbih, and so forth. Um, how the scholars differed over the interpretation of what's meant by Subhanallah wa bihamdihi when, when it's used together. Subhanallah and, and, and hamd is mentioned together. Um, and Allah knows best. As for istighfar, then it means to seek forgiveness. Right? Istighfar means to ask Allah's maghfirah. To ask Allah's maghfirah. What does maghfirah mean? When we say astaghfirullah, I ask you for your maghfirah. What does it mean? Maghfirah means the covering of Allah upon his slave. When Allah conceals your sins. He conceals the slave and his faults and his sins. And he erases the sins and he overlooks them. That's what maghfirah actually means. It means, firstly, Allah conceals you. And he conceals the slave's sins. So that people are not, it's not exposed to everybody. It's concealed. That's point number one. Point number two is Allah erases them and He overlooks them. He erases them and He overlooks them. Which means He doesn't take you to task for it. He doesn't punish you for it. This is maghfirah. So when you say astaghfirullah, you are asking Allah, basically, oh Allah, conceal my sin, cover my sins. Erase my sins and overlook my sins. That's what maghfirah actually means, subhanAllah. And here Ibn Uthaymin mentioned that this is the goal of every slave. And this is exactly what every slave needs. This is what we need. We need Allah's maghfirah. What can we do without Allah's maghfirah? Every single slave is a sinner. And we are all in need of his maghfirah. In fact, without this maghfirah and Allah's mercy, nobody will enter Jannah. And the Prophet ﷺ said so. And they said, not even you, O Messenger of Allah, and he said, not even me. Except that Allah has enveloped me in His mercy, and therefore I will enter Jannah. Yani, what this means is, the Prophet basically said, nobody will enter Jannah because of his deeds. So they said, not even you, he said, not even me. Except that Allah enveloped me in His mercy. Yani, what this means is, our deeds are not worthy of Jannah. No matter what we do, how much we do, is it worthy of Allah's perfect paradise? Can we purchase something perfect with our imperfect deeds? Our deeds that are so imperfect, it's mixed with sin, it's mixed with, it's not done properly, it's not done with khushur, it's not done with sincerity, it's not, it's so many shortcomings. Can we use these deeds, which is sometimes few, sometimes it's mixed with all types of problems and shortcomings, can we purchase Jannah with this? It's impossible. The only way we get to Jannah is through the mercy of Allah. But the deeds... The deeds are the reason for Allah's mercy. Without the deeds, Allah is not going to have mercy upon a person. This is the general sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So we earn that mercy through our deeds. Not So this doesn't mean the deeds are not important. The deeds are not worthy of Jannah. But through your deeds, Allah will have that special mercy upon you. And his maghfirah. And he will enter you into paradise. May Allah do that with all of us. Amin ar alameen. At the end of his life, and we know that he was the most steadfast worshipper of Allah, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. 
he would add to his ruku' and his sujood, tasbih, tahmir and istighfar. Subhanallah, alhamdulillah, and astaghfirullah. He would add this to his sujood and ruku' And this was because of this ayah in Surah Al-Nasr. Asabih bihamdi rabbika wa astaghfir. Glorify the praise of your Rabb and seek his forgiveness. Right? The three things that are mentioned here, tasbih, tahmid and istighfar. Saying subhanallah, alhamdulillah and Allahu Akbar. Seeking, glorifying Allah, seeking, uh, praising him and seeking his forgiveness. Aisha radiallahu anha, ummul mu'mineen, the mother of the believers, may Allah be pleased with her. She said that Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to say very often in bowing and prostration in ruku and sujood, Subhanakallahumma rabbana wa bihamdik, Allahumma ghfirli. Right? And this is why I, 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 I explained earlier the relationship between Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Yeah, it's mentioned. And this comes from the, the, the surah, Fasah bihamdi rabbika wa astaghfir. Because yeah, he used to say, Subhanakallah, I glorify, glorified is, are you, glorified are you, O oh Allah, perfect are you, O oh Allah, wa bihamdika, and I praise you, or while I'm praising you, as I explained earlier, Ibn Hajar said, it could mean either while I'm praising you, or it's a separate statement, I glorify you, and I praise you, wallahu a'lam, or it could mean, I glorify you, by praising you, these are three interpretations Ibn Hajar basically gave us, all three we could say is correct. Wallahu a'lam exactly. Um, uh, so I glorify you, O Allah, my Lord, whilst I praise you, while I am praising you, Allahumma ghfirli, O Allah, forgive me. This is what he used to then say in the sujood and the ruku' in his salah. So this is a sunnah that we should learn. We should now learn the sunnah. So in the ruku' and sujood, we say, Subhanahu Rabbi Al-Azim, Subhanahu Rabbi Al-Azim, Subhanahu Rabbi Al-Azim. Generally, we say it three times. We can say it more than that. But also then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam often would say Subhanakallahumma rabbana wa bihamdik Allahumma ghfirli Right? And in the sujood the same Subhanakallahumma rabbana wa bihamdik And then he would say Subhanakallahumma rabbana wa bihamdik Allahumma ghfirli Right? Perfection belongs to you O oh Allah and I praise you or oh, while I'm praising you O oh Allah forgive me O oh Allah forgive me This is what he used to say in the rukuwa and the sujood In the previous hadith also in Bukhari Aisha said he used to say this after Surah Al-Nasr was revealed. Because what does Surah Al-Nasr say? فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرُ Glorify the praise of your Rabb and ask His forgiveness. Yeah, this is what he used to do. Glorify Allah, praise Him, وَبِحَمْدِكَ and ask His forgiveness. So, and the hadith says actually, this was him interpreting the Qur'an. This hadith here actually said, this is him interpreting the Qur'an. Yani this is how he understood that ayah. Part of it is to say this in the ruku and the sujood often. Yani most of the time in the ruku and the sujood, you would also say this. Subhanakallahumma rabbana wa bihamdik, Allahumma ghfirli. So this is something we should learn. So it's a sunnah and we should say this in our ruku and our sujood. Bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. Aisha also reported and she said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to say these words often before he passed away. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi. Again, this is the phrase that I mentioned, that I explained, what Ibn Hajar said. Astaghfirullah wa atubu Glory be to Allah and with His praises. Oh, while I praise Him, I seek your forgiveness and I repent to you. He used to say this often. Which means, before he died, the, the time building up before his death, 
he started to make this dhikr more often. Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa subhanallah, wa bihamdihi, astaghfirullah, wa atubu ilayhi. Subhanallah, wa bihamdihi, astaghfirullah, wa atubu ilayhi. So Aisha said, I said, oh Messenger of Allah, I see you have said these words often. I see you starting to say this more often. So the Prophet said, my Rabb has told me that I will see a sign in my nation. And when I see it, I should say often, Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, astaghfirullah wa atubu ilayhi. When I see the sign, I must start saying this dhikr. What is the sign? He said, I have already seen it in the verses, إِذَا جَاءَ النَّصُرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ When the divine assistance of Allah comes and his victory, and the victory, the conquering of Mecca. And, you, and when you see the people entering the region of Allah in crowds, then glorify the praises of your Rabb and seek his forgiveness. For certainly, he is ever accepting of repentance. To end off, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, he narrates a hadith recorded from Abu Ammar, that the neighbor of Jabir ibn Abdullah, he said, well, he said to him, I returned from a journey and Jabir ibn Abdullah came and greeted me. So I began to talk with him about the divisions among the people and what they had started doing. Thus Jabir began to cry and he said, I heard the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying, إِنَّ النَّاسَ دَخَلُوا فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ أَفْوَاجًا وَسَيَخْرُجُونَ مِنْهُ أَفْوَاجًا Indeed, the people have entered into the religion of Allah in crowds and they will also leave it in crowds. Subhanallah. So that is, you know, something to, to, for us to reflect over. That we've spoken about Allah's divine assistance, Allah's victory that He gave to the Prophet sallallahu after all that He endured. And how now the people start to enter into the deen of Islam in flocks, in crowds. And why they did this at this time after the victory. And then what Allah wanted from His Prophet after that is just to continuously praise Him and glorify Him and seek His forgiveness. For His life was not to be uh, very, much, very long after this in this world. And this is what He did as we showed in the previous ahadith. He did it in the salah, the ruku and the sujood and outside of the salah. He used to now praise Allah more and thank Him and glorify Him more. And seek his forgiveness more so. And he said this because of this ayat in Surah Al-Nasr. Subhanallah. So we should be doing this as well. We should now be glorifying Allah as much as we can. Praising him as much as we can. And seeking his forgiveness as much as we can. Because this is what we are truly in need of. And this is where our success lies. It's part of the dhikr of Allah Azza wa Jal. But also to reflect over at the end here is. As much as people will enter into the deen. In, in, in crowds, people are also going to leave the deen in crowds. So that's something to reflect over and something to be worried over. That we should not take our deen lightly. And not compromise our religion and our beliefs and our aqidah and our methodology and so forth. That we should stand firm for our belief. And stand firm for our aqidah. And we spoke about the importance of this in, in the previous surah, Surah Al-Kafirun. Subhanallah. So it's something to really think about and, and, and be grateful over. The fact that we are Muslimin and be proud of it and that we stand firm for our belief and our, our deen and our identity as Muslims and that we hold firm to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam for in that lies our saviour. As the Prophet said, I leave you with two things. If you hold on to them, you will never go astray after me. Kitabullah wa sunnati, the book of Allah and my sunnah. This is our saviour. When you hold on to the book of Allah and the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and of course the way of the Sahaba which is basically the way of the Salaf, the Salaf al-Salih, then one cannot go astray 
after this. And we ask Allah Azza wa Jal for thabat. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal to keep us steadfast, to keep us grounded, to, to grant us sabr upon his tests and upon his decree, to grant us hikmah in our dealings and, and ikhlas in our actions and to grant us his forgiveness and his maghfirah and his mercy and to enter us into his paradise. Amin Rabbil Alameen. And up until next week, we will do Suratul Masad. Tabbat yada abi lahabi wa tab. Bi'idhnillahi ta'ala. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyina Muhammad. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka. Wa atubu ilayk.